Hello and welcome to the Mindfulness for Learning podcast. Today's guest is a passionate environmental educator and accredited forest therapy guide. Mary Bell states that it is her deep belief that by experiencing time in nature, we are enabling the healing benefits of the environment around us to help create a better future for our earth and ourselves. There are lots of things that stay constant every day despite the ups and downs of life. For example, it's shown that being exposed to daylight can help improve your mood. So how can you incorporate that? The sun will always rise and always set. In this episode, we explore the reasons why nature is an integral part of our wellbeing journey, how we can fit in time with nature, whether that be in our workspaces or in our own time. The air you breathe and the soil and all those things working together help to kind of build a better outlook. You can connect with Mary via her Instagram on at nature underscore no or on her website, marybell.com.au. I hope you can gain as much from this conversation as I have. It's full of hope and is a truly refreshing addition to our podcast catalogue. So let's make a start. Mary Bell, welcome. Hi, Mary. Welcome to the Mindfulness for Learning podcast. Hi, Sophie. Lovely to be talking to you. Oh, yeah, it's lovely to be talking to you. And thank you so much for joining us from across the globe. A wonderful product of social media and technology and the fact that we can connect all the way with um, in Australia. Can you tell our listeners where you are in the world right now? Oh, definitely. Well, um, I'm based in Sydney on Dara country, the Aboriginal country here where I am. And uh, that's on the northern outskirts. So I actually live on the outskirts of the city. Um, and I have beautiful natural bushland at the end of my street, which I visit oh, most days of the week. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen some of the pictures on your website. It looks very, you know, there's a lot of trees, a lot of nature around you, which surprised me for for Sydney, but you say you're on the outskirts. So is it does it get a lot more, you know, easy to find nature as you move out? Yeah, definitely. Um we're in the area I'm in there's actually a lot of national park. And yeah, Sydney Sydney does have a lot of bush and trees around it. So uh but even so, we, um, like most cities, are, are losing pockets of green all the time. Yeah, that's the sad thing, isn't it? You, uh, so you're an environmental educator and accredited forest therapy guide. So firstly, can you tell us what is forest therapy? Yeah, definitely. Well, forest therapy is an evidence-based public health practice uh, that provides numerous physical and physiological benefits for people. So people are partaking in slow, mindful, immersive sensory walks in nature and in forests. And this program of forest therapy, or Shinrin-yoku, was developed in Japan in the 1980s because that was a response they needed because there was a really large amount of worker stress and people were literally dying in the streets. I guess at that time... there was a lot of increasing technology and the amount of work people had to do. So the government and the agriculture uh, government organisations decided they wanted to do something about this and they looked to the practice of Shinto, uh, a nature-based religion in Japan, and the fact that they do have a lot of forest in their rural areas and so they actually began a program uh, that's structured in a, a certain way where they were able to conduct and still 
do conduct research and measure people's heart rates and blood pressure, the amount of cortisol in their saliva uh, and their mood and, and their outlook before and after walks. Um, so as a result, um, doctors can deliver these nature prescriptions and um, there are actually specially constructed forest therapy walks located throughout Japan with the idea that there is one within reach for people throughout Japan, so trying to make it accessible for all. Well, so that's quite forward thinking, isn't it? For the, not, you say it was introduced in the nineteen eighties. I feel like that that's really ahead of ahead of the game, really. It is, isn't it? I I think um, well, in Australia, I think we've got a long way to catch up, and we'll talk a bit later about what's happening in the UK. But uh, yeah, it's it's really wonderful that all this infrastructure has been put in place, and it's and it. And it's a much easier sell for people in Japan. They've had time to kind of take it on board and understand what it is. And so it's it's a natural thing for them to feel connected to nature or be involved in something like forest therapy. So is it a fairly big thing in Australia now? Because, I, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it exists here in the UK. Like you say, you're going to talk a bit about that later. But it's certainly not something that I've come across. I mean, we have forest schools here, I guess, is the closest thing in terms of education. But is it quite big in Australia? Uh, we're, we're definitely not in uh, on a, a big scale here in Australia. Mm. Um, I'm one of the first guides that has taken the study of it um, here in Sydney. Oh, um, wow. They've, you know, began... Uh, with the organisation that I've been studying with, that you know they've run a couple of guide, couple of guide cohorts through the last couple of years, uh, so it's very early days. Um, and what does so it? Um, it's great. Go on, carry on. No, it's great to be talking to you and kind of spreading the word and yeah, you know, making people aware about what's involved and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's really good to to get it out there. I think, like I say, it, it's certainly something I haven't come across on. You know, I follow a lot of accounts on social media in terms of well being, and apart from forest schools, this hasn't really come up until I saw you on Instagram. What you're an environmental educator as well, and what does a normal day look like for you as a guide and educator in that way? Yeah, well, uh, I've spent a lot of time working in public organisations, so uh, like of botanic gardens and museums and outdoor spaces and places. And I've been working in schools, planting trees most recently. Uh, and that's been a fantastic balance with the study I've been doing in forest therapy. And uh, there is there is a lot of gardening programs in schools, which is fantastic. And uh, yeah, I'll be I'll I I I will be in a school this term, one time a week, uh, providing outdoor education programs with students, which will be so wonderful. To Lovely. Be. And how old are the children you're going to be working with? Oh, they'll they'll here in Australia they call it uh, stage one. So that's children in their second and third year of schooling so kindy so I'll be doing years one and two. Oh, lovely. Yeah. 
Yeah, how special. And what kind of things will you be doing with them? So planting trees, you said. Yeah, we'll plant some trees and we'll look after the chickens and, and we're going to look at what we call mini beasts over here. I don't yep. know if you do we that. We do have that here, um, yeah. So I'm thinking snails and, oh, hopefully the silkworms will come out and, yeah, we'll just be really getting in amongst the trees in the playground that they have and um, discovering the small world of animals. Um, and and that, that actually takes me to something I was going to ask you later, but I will now, because obviously you talk about trees in the playground um, and I live in the city and my children go to school in the city and they actually don't have any green space in their playground. What kind of advice would you give to educators um, to ensure that city children are discovering the benefits of nature? Yeah, so it really is a, a challenge, um, these urban landscapes. Uh, I think it's only in about 2007 that um, there's actually more people living in urban areas than there are rural um, all over the world. So it's something that I think a lot of us are facing. But if we think about it in small bite-sized pieces, there are lots of things that stay constant every day despite the ups and downs of life. So, for for example, it's shown that being exposed to daylight can help improve your mood. Mm. So, how can you incorporate that uh, through the cycles of the day, through sunrise and sunset? That the sun will always rise and always set. Mm. You know, can you make a moment like today I went out to the car and the sun was shining and it hasn't done a lot of that lately and I just decided for a moment just to move my eyes into the sun mm. so that I'm getting that kind of natural light yeah, uh, rather than the glare of the screen and the indoor lighting. So I guess just getting outside in the playground, even when you don't have green space as such, is a positive. Yeah, and you've got you've got the window, hopefully, that's got the sky outside. So there's uh, the University of Derby has provided five pathways to connect to nature. Uh, and so that's simply looking at uh, contact. So using your senses in a pleasurable way, whether you're listening out for sounds for a few minutes before you go into the class for the day or um, meaning, so engaging with the beauty of nature through creative art. So can you, you know, incorporate nature journaling and use some symbolism about the first flower of spring or a bird call that comes around at this time of year and making those connections and starting to understand the nature around you that you don't necessarily appreciate yeah um so it's just using what you have yeah compassion um i mean we are all nature ourselves so appreciating that you know, we can't live without nature. Nature can't live without us in a sense. So, mm. you know, having a concern for nature and um, welfare, whether you can have a watering a plant or a small animal in the classroom to actually connect back all the time. Um, 
and evolving the emotion. So creating a bond and poetry is a really lovely way to do this. Is there a small haiku that you could incorporate uh, into the day that you can refer back to so that that connects you back to nature? Yeah. Uh, and, and the beauty of everything around you. And also, can you have a language about nature right. with you? Yeah. Yeah, some interesting tips there. Yeah, really, really great. Just really appreciating, allowing them to appreciate what's around them and, t- and really take it in, which I guess is a kind of mindfulness, isn't it? It's, it's really noticing rather than we spend our life, we, you know, they get their bags on, they go into school. And they, you know, not taking in anything around them. It's getting them to stop and really notice the nature around them. We're talking about the sunlight in the windows made me think that quite often I will go into classrooms in primary schools and their blinds are shut. Um, How important is it for us to have our blinds up and the sunlight coming in, do you think? Well, it does amazing things in regulating our systems to be able to see the light change throughout the day and that's going in through your eyes and so that's helping regulate your whole system and giving you... So they're saying that being outdoors before say 10 o'clock or so and getting a small dose of sunlight if there's no sunlight the light itself uh, is actually helping to regulate your system and we we are naturally attuned to the cycles of the day and and I think we are so far removed from these things sometimes that we don't think about it yeah so something like sunlight coming in through the window possibly could have an an effect if the blinds are shut having an effect on well their whole day really and then their sleep which impacts following days would you say that it could have an impact on their sleep or oh definitely definitely and there are you know I don't have the quantitative research on it but it's showing that if you can get that natural light it actually does improve your mood right yeah (laughs) so uh, if it's improving the mood in an office, it can only improve in a classroom. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, so teachers out there, if you've got behaviour problems and you're wanting things to run a bit smoother, open your blinds, see if it works. Um, there's yeah, so much sounds more. sounds fantastic. Yeah, yeah, go on, carry on. Sounds, you know, I think such a simple thing to do. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And that's what we need, isn't it? It's, especially with educators being so busy, it's those small little things that we change that will have a really big effect, especially over a long time. Um, and there's so much more being spoken about with regards to nature and the benefits it has on our mental health. Can you tell us a bit more about these benefits? You've mentioned a couple of them with um, light, but what can nature do for us? It does It does a lot in a subtle way. So uh, it actually helps you feel so much more calm and and less stressed and because it's actually something people mostly enjoy to do so it's helping you focus um, even looking up at the sky is making your eyes look in a different way than constantly at a screen or a book or the board at the front looking up takes your mind out of things and really removes you from overthinking 
And quite often we're looking down when we're walking now at our phones. Especially in the city, I feel like the buildings, because they're so tall and you've got your phone, it's everything's kind of in a very small space. When you actually open up, it's quite shocking as to what you haven't noticed before, isn't it? Yeah, and it really can be so joyful to actually find something, whether it's a raindrop on a leaf or uh, seeing a, a little beastie that you haven't seen before. And, you know, approaching it with your senses and in a playful nature really helps relieve stress and opens your curiosity as well and, and a new way of thinking. So the more you do, that you have a reference point as you help develop the practice and kind of connect to your inner sense, our natural connection to nature that, you know, has been around for eons really yeah so yeah does that come naturally to us do you think I'm just thinking in terms of children it might we went for a walk the other day I think we we're actually just walking to school or I was taking my son to football I can't quite remember but on our way out my son said I really love that tree and we walk past it all the time but it's it's really huge and goes very high and I'd never looked up at it before and when I did it was so beautiful and I couldn't believe he'd noticed it before but do you think children are more able to tune in? Do you think it's something that we grow out of or do you think it, you know, are we born with it? Oh, I think I think there definitely is something about when you're younger, you're just more open and playful and ready to notice these things. And I do think that we've become so much more disconnected over over time. And we and, and we've got so many more pressures these days. So isn't that fantastic that your son noticed that? And I think that it's actually something that teachers and parents could be doing is actually encouraging children to adopt a tree and have a favourite tree because it's a special place to be. <laughs> it's um, a different view if you get to climb one. But there, they're there perhaps for hundreds of years and I wonder what they've seen over time. Yeah, that's quite special actually. We went um they do a community gardening thing last summer and we went and planted, they wanted hedges so we planted them and the children were really fascinated by the idea that, you know, they will be adults when those hedges kind of are really, have taken over and have grown. That idea of, yeah, like you say, what they've seen over time, those that nat- the nature around us is outlived so many humans that's right and you and you're planting for the future you're actually you're actually being quite compassionate in that act because you're you're actually probably not necessarily going to see that tree grow to its full size for, for example but you're actually leaving something for other people to appreciate as well how beautiful is that I think it's one of the best things you can do planting yeah that is lovely I didn't think about the compassion side of that of that passing it on yeah that is a really lovely lesson and we talked a bit about disconnection actually um and I went to I went to um an exhibition at the welcome collection which is in Euston in London and it was called rooted beings I think it's actually still on um, and there was a really interesting statement there and it said humans are creatures of the soil and actually the word human comes from the Latin humus which is soil or earth but we have increasingly cut our ties to land and the rest of the living world and we treat plants as resources for our consumption degrading the vital and fragile entanglements between human and non-human lives um, how do you think this disconnect has happened over time how do we find our way back 
to really connecting? Yeah, it's such a good question. And I would love to see that exhibition. It sounds really, yeah, it's really very great. interesting. I think that over time we've just gradually evolved to create a life of ease. And so by doing that, we're actually constructing harsher spaces and places to, you know, as we say, give us a life of luxury and not have to worry about things. But at the same time, I think we all deeply crave to be able to get back time in nature because I think we innately know that it helps us feel better. And what better time than during the pandemic? That was one of the big graces was that you could get time outside if you could uh, and people exploring new places just near them that they haven't seen before. And if we think about, you know, all the concrete paths and roads that are kind of providing this barrier to the soil and indeed soil itself is actually full of microbes that make us feel better uh, and these wonderful microbiomes and wood-wide webs that exist under trees uh, is just an amazing kind of network and there's research done in here in Australia that's showing the more diverse the microbes in the soil are, I mean, they're doing these studies in rural areas, uh, the healthier you are. And every time you're walking in nature, the healthy microbes that are in the air are landing on your skin and the skin is a big absorbing organ. So they're actually absorbed into your own microbiome. Wow, So the air you breathe... And the soil and all those things working together help to kind of build a better outlook. And it really can take time to feel safe and disconnect from technology. Uh, It's actually, you know, quite difficult sometimes for people to go, like you've got hot weather at the moment. We've had wet weather and people you know, put up a barrier. I put up my barriers when it's not exactly nice weather. So it's okay to take it slow. And as I said before, taking the time to commit to the daily cycles around you. And you're actually walking and getting sunshine uh, and tuning in your metabolism. So, yeah, I think it's important to kind of you know, as your own practices tell you, to be mindful and immerse your senses. And it is so beautiful when you find the time to do that. Like you say, you really recognise the importance of it. And actually that link between mental health and living in a city is quite interesting. When you were talking about the soil and what it can do for us, it makes you think about that connection with nature. And although we have lovely green spaces in London, I quite often think I'm very lucky I don't have to get in a car to go and find some green space. Whereas sometimes when I go back to Kent, where I'm from, you know, if they want to go somewhere, they have to drive to it. I feel very lucky that we've got beautiful green spaces. But obviously nature isn't all around us. We have to go and find it. So, yeah, it's an interesting link there. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think we need to build more green into our future spaces. It's uh, it's essential for well-being. I mean, it's just 
it's it's not an expensive thing to be in nature. It's free. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Mm. It's something we can be doing for ourselves. And I think that the more governments and organisations think more deeply about how they can intersperse nature in amongst all the urban structures we have, the more healthier people are going to be and the easier it's going to be to manage people's conditions. I mean, we're not getting healthier in society. There's just more and more stress and more and more illness as a result. Mm. And, and you know, we're now, after a long time of being reactive in terms of our care and our men- mental and physical health, we're now realising the need for preventative care um, so I'm guessing that, you know, this, this connection with nature could help. How much does nature act as preventative care, do you think? Yeah, well, that's really interesting, that question. So there's research. Um, Japan and, and other countries like Taiwan are doing a lot of study in the area as well. So what they've done is they've measured people's blood pressure and uh, their cortisol levels and their moods and before and after and they're finding that taking a three-hour slow forest therapy style Shinrin-ryoku walk uh, has long-standing benefits for up to three to four weeks afterwards. So that's not a lot of time to gift yourself in terms of spending time in nature and you can top up with daily small doses and and uh, incorporate something bigger and better with a you know a more longer walk forest therapy style every month or so and does it have to be walking with forest therapy could you if you were a runner or maybe you like cycling would it have the same benefits or do you think the walking aspect of it is really important yeah, look, I, that's a really fantastic question to ask. I know there's so much physical benefit from from walking, but I'm pretty sure there'd be ways that you can incorporate when you're running or on a on a bicycle. Yeah. Especially if you get the senses involved. So perhaps it's about listening and you're running and you're listening to the forest as you go. But there is a lot to... Uh, the slow approach for sure. That's the way I like to do it. Yeah, and I guess with walking, you're so much more able to take everything in. Whereas obviously, when you're cycling, you need to be careful. You need to be aware of what you're doing, and you could be going. You're definitely going at at speed um, more than walking. Yes. So I guess you can take in less than what you would if you're walking. Yeah, but you still feel amazing, don't you, after doing that kind of exercise? Yeah, and better and than nothing. The, that's right. <laughs> Thinking about the disconnection aspect and you mentioned screens now obviously screens are something that we all talk about so much now especially we especially with children um i i often think that when i'm teaching it's really hard to compete now for a child stimulation because they're so stimulated by a screen that they don't know how to they don't have the skills to be stimulated by anything else so me talking to them or sharing an experience can become I guess, quite boring for them because a screen just does it in a way that they prefer. Do you think there's, what do we do about the competition with nature and screens and how, how as parents can we manage that? You know, trying to get, I remember I went to the Pyrenees, I guess this is kind of pre-screen time, but I went to, uh, 
you know, whenever my parents took me to see nature as a child, I kind of thought, oh, I'd rather be watching TV. How can we, how can we teach them to be more appreciative of that? Yeah, it's it's a long, slow process, I think. And I, I'm, I'm the same, you know, I, I, I liked a bit of TV as well. But I think if, you know, I feel that my parents were great role models. So how can you be a role model? How can you incorporate it into your life? How can you link with community? There's so many community offerings out there that are getting people connected with the environment. How can you be part of that? And frame it in a positive way. So saying something like time in nature helps you feel better and going slow actually will give you some more time later to do some of the things you like because you're going to be more clear and more focused. Or, you know, does it it gives you superpowers to help you cope with life when it's a bit hard and it's it's so fun. And there's always something new and exciting to discover. And I think nature journaling as a practice is is quite good in this way because there's a lot of expression and also understanding by taking time. So as hard as it is, it actually becomes quite enjoyable, this process of having a sit spot where you take time to go to a special place, whether it's down the road every now and then or or it's in the backyard or on your balcony and using that time to just watch what's happening. Um, We use a a certain type of invitational language on our walks and I really think that's a great basis to set aside, you know, an example for children. So you may like to take your shoes off and walk along and feel the gentle coolness of this grassy patch. Uh, And and I think as adults, we can really embrace this because it's actually fun and we enjoy being a bit childlike sometimes. And this can be so missing from our lives. So they're just some suggestions and there, there just might be that magic moment like your son had about how he really liked that tree. And referring back to that, having sit spots, having special places that they really like to go that summer holiday. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's great. And, and you know, I think the modelling aspect of it is really important. Like you say, children learn more by watching us than any other way. And if we're living a life where we show the need and want for nature in our lives, what better way, like you say, to be a role model and show how you can incorporate it, show the ben- what benefits you can have. There's not really mu- a much better way to do it, is there? Yeah. Yeah, and your joy hopefully is infectious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, you're the founder of Nature Know. Can you tell us about what Nature Know does and how can it, how it can support educators and families and children, and how can people find and connect with you? Yeah, so um, it's it's a it's a burgeoning early stage business, but my vision is that I want to provide experiences that help families and children and people, educators, especially those that are apprehensive 
because I see that so much and I have it myself sometimes. And I guess my vision is to provide experiences and inspire people to be from, uh, you know, a, a tech-addicted life to being more confident and creative and appreciating the wonders of nature around us and being able to build on each experience and become more confident and aware. So, you know, I run run walks here in Sydney, but I also am, you know, I'm on an educational journey. I really want people to understand and that's why I'm so grateful this experience to talk to you because – yeah, this is a great vibe to get into, like understanding what nature is and hopefully helping our planet. And, you know, it's not it's not going to get any easier. We're going to have more floods like we've had in here in Australia and, and you've got hot weather and yeah, it's been these quite are going to be challenges. You know, we need to explore these kind of challenges so that we can still incorporate nature in our life. So... I want to do this, you know, I've got things on videos on YouTube where I explore questions and try and inspire people with inspiring scenery and thoughts. And Yeah. So can um, people send in their questions to you? Oh, that would be so wonderful. I'd love to hear from people. Yeah. Um, and we're going to put your website on the episode summary and your email address is on, on the website, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And um, I've uh, done some online nature breaks so I think that's a great way yeah I was looking at these these are fascinating and I wanted to ask you how do they work and do they have the same benefits as in-person breaks yeah well I've, I've done them in a several different formats and um, when I was doing my study last year I had to run some walks and of course we were in lockdown every five minutes and you know time was getting on and I wanted to get through the course so we were suggested that we could run an online session so I re- went down into the local bushland and I recorded some some activities. We we worked through a series of sensory activities to kind of entice and, you know, invite people to have their own experience. And uh, so they're all sitting in their backyards and sometimes the technology dropped out and whatever. But we tuned back in at the end of each session. And, and uh, yeah, the, one of the ladies... Um, she'd actually climbed a tree in her backyard and she'd never climbed it before. But she she was given that freedom, that kind of idea. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm making the most of this so I don't have to think about the washing the kids or anything for now. So I'm going to go and climb this tree and see what it looks like. So did you give that idea specifically or was what was the – what was the instruction from you before she went and climbed the tree? You know, I can't remember exactly, but uh, there, I think it was maybe I, we, we do an activity about meeting a tree right? and, um, you know, getting to know what a tree's story might be. And, uh, you know, you can start at all levels. You can be a tree hugger from the beginning or you might just, you know, kind of touch a bark and get to know what's going on with that or think about that underneath um, kind of network of uh, mycorrhiza and things like that. And I think she just thought, here's a tree I want to get to know. I'm going to do it by climbing it. So that was fantastic. And um, 
another session that I offered this year was when I well, went into the classroom by video and basically immersed the students through us from sensory practices without a lot of props really but just kind of can you give us an example of one that you did I quietly said how about we listen out for the sounds that we can hear further away and just listening out and perhaps describing those sounds in your head and are they loud or are they soft? Are they repeating? Or are they just a long, slow sound? And then you might like to come a bit closer and see if you can listen to sounds close to you. And then I would refer to what I could hear. And perhaps you can even hear the sound of your own heartbeat. And just, yeah, talking in a slow, mindful way like I am right now. Yeah. And how long were the sessions you did with the children online? That was that was a, a, a quick half-hour nature break. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I know that there's so many bits of curriculum people have to discuss and get through. So it was just to kind of give an insight and perhaps change change the thinking space and the focus and the and the mood for the day. And talking about educators being busy, how, you know, you've spoken about how we might fit it into the classroom for the children, but obviously it will have a, a benefit for the educators as well when we're struggling and we have a lot of stress. How can educators fit connecting with nature into their busy lives? Yeah, so I think the more we practice for ourselves uh, to implement moments, so it could be simple as taking the time when you're walking between classes to just be aware of the feeling of the wind and what the temperature feels like on different parts of your skin or incorporating smells so like there are certain scents or what we call phytoncides these active volatile compounds that are actually really good for you so in japan they have certain pine trees that are known to be quite good at kind of fighting off bacteria or uh, viruses and those kind of things. And here in Australia, we're lucky to have eucalyptus, but it could even just be pine. Mm. So even just the essential oil on a hanky in your pocket to kind of have a bit of a smell. And I really think that a cup of tea is a great way (laughs) to kind of – have something that you do do, even if it's a coffee. I mean, that's from a plant, and um, you're a, you're thinking about it as you slowly absorb the scent and the smell, and and feel it as it slowly moves down your mouth and warms you up inside. And think about it, listen to the sounds as you sip it, and you know, gaze at the cup, even just for a moment. So it really is about reconnecting with what's around us. I had had this image of, you know, of green, and obviously that is a massive part of nature, and it's so important that we connect in that way, like having plants in our classroom. But it's bigger than that, isn't it? It's the, It's basically the environment around you. You're saying, stop, take it in, use that. 
Yeah, definitely. Like I I I walk outside and I hear an aeroplane and it's like, oh. But if you spend time listening a bit more closely, you don't hear the aeroplane. You hear the <laughs> bird singing. Yeah. And and even as you say, plants in the classroom, that's a smaller environment, but thinking about the bigger environment is important as well. Mm. And there's still benefit from actually looking at photos. Oh, or, really? Yeah, yeah. There's a lady called Florence Williams. She's written a book called The Nature Fix. And that's a really great reference to kind of get some ideas of some of the research she's done uh, in uh, – I haven't finished the book yet, but I've, I've learnt a lot from what she's discovered. She's sort of – immersed herself in into some research and discovered there's a lot to the benefits of nature mm. yeah so by looking looking at pictures of nature can you yeah. have have a benefit that's right mm. that's interesting and i guess you doing the online nature breaks with schools that is a way to tap in if you don't have forests and you know huge amounts of nature around you then better, yeah. better than nothing, you can have, you know, online nature breaks and things like that would help children yeah, to reconnect. Right. Definitely, definitely. Um, what about for people in the UK? Do you have any recommendations for forest walks and therapy and connecting with nature? Well, I've, I've, uh, I've got a, a good list here. I find Twitter is a really great place for educators and this is where I've, you know, found a lot of information. So there's a fellow called Miles Richardson and he works at the University of Derp. Derby and he conducts uh, nature connectedness research so he has a, a small nature connected index that very simple that he's used to implement things and I, I went through some of the uh, index you know the ways of connecting that he suggested to connect back with nature and so the, from his research and he's regularly blogging and sharing what he's discovered. But there's something called Nature Plymouth and Green Mites Plymouth. There seems to be a whole lot of um, burgeoning research and people doing things in that area. Um, there's a lady called Incredible Edible. She's doing foraging for mental well-being. She says it's oh, not wow. about not about collecting lots of bits and pieces. It's about slowing down and connecting with the what you're discovering. The Forest Bathing Institute, based in the UK, has some links to different people that have trained with them. Uh, there's Forest Mind UK, Space for Nature. There's someone called Echo Heart Arts, Wild Health, and Emma Mitchell. So there's, and then I also really, really like the work of this outdoor play charity, Learning Through Landscapes, and they provide funding for schools to get sets of equipment for raincoats and designing playgrounds to be a little bit more inviting like that actually, sounds incredible yeah they they really know what they're doing they sort of talk about providing you know little mounds and hills so that you it's not all flat and mm. those kind of things yeah and are, are all the links for the organizations you've just spoken about we'll put on the episode summary so that educators and families can find them so thank you so much for sharing that. That's really great. 
pleasure. Um, and if you uh, want to find Mary and find out more what she's about, you can go to her website, um, which is marybell.com.au. And again, we'll put that on the episode summary. But I've really, really enjoyed talking to you, Mary. It's been, I've learned a lot um, about how, you know, it's come September with my reception class, all the things that I can be doing. And I'm definitely going to do some plant shopping before September. So thank you so much for agreeing to come to talk to me. My pleasure, Sophie. Uh, I wish you well with what you do. I want to find out how it goes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. We'll definitely keep in touch and I'm sure we can collaborate on something in the future. A big thank you to Mary for joining me for that conversation. Nature is all around us, no matter where we are in the world. From urban landscapes to being surrounded by green, we can all try to create those little moments of connection. If you want to know more, don't forget to visit Mary's website on marybell.com.au. You can also find out more about us at mindfulnessforlearning.com or on our Instagram and Twitter accounts on at mforlearning. A massive thank you again to Ben Corbett for editing this episode and thank you to you, our Mindfulness for Learning community. Thanks for listening and see you next time.